1: Welcome, 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 welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. We always say it, we always mean it, and we know it's true. So a shout out to our global audience. Thank you so much for your loyalty all these years. We will continue to bring you great thought leadership and today is no exception. So let's see what the opening quote is. The buzz is a quote from Jim Barksdale, former Netscape CEO, still very much alive and well-born in 1943. He served as president and CEO of Netscape Communications Corp from 95 until it merged with AOL in 99. Those of you who've been around a long time may remember that. Uh, just a, an interesting factoid about Barksdale. He, uh, he had something called the Barksdale Spread Networks. He completed a nearly straight fiber optic link between Chicago and New York City, and he shaved three milliseconds, yes, off the previously fastest connection between those two trading centers. Uh huh. So Eddie charged for it. Anyway, Here's the quote, listen up, if we have data, let's look at data. If all we have are opinions, Let's go with mine. Thank you, Mr. Barksdale. So what are we talking about today? Machine learning. It's impacting your core business processes, whatever your business does, wherever you are in the world. But many companies, and this could include you, are struggling with how to operationalize machine learning. There is a key to all this. You want to succeed? I'm going to tell you what it all hinges on. It's a four-letter word called data. That's right, the key. And this is what data scientists are spending 80% of their efforts on right now is having the right data. But the right data, what is it? Is it good data? Is it somewhat good data? Is it great data? How do you know if you have good data? That's what we're going to help you figure out today. I have a panel of four experts. They all happen to work at SAP, but they're experts and we're thrilled to have them. And just as a disclaimer, they were on our series called Game Changing Predictive Machine Learning Radio in January of this year, 2019. And I've invited them back to speak to our Coffee Break audience because this is such an important topic and the experts are so savvy. There you go. So let me tell you who's going to be on the show today and then we'll get started. First up, we're welcoming back Ginger Gatling, Senior Director, SAP Product Marketing for Data Management, how appropriate, and Blake Howitt, Senior Director of Digital Platform Solutions Group, along with David Quirk, Senior Director, Solutions Management EIM at SAP, and rounding out the panel is the sponsor of our Predictive Machine Learning series, and a great series it is, John Skitka, Senior Director, Solution Marketing at SAP. So welcome back, panelists, very, very privileged to have you come back. Ginger Gatling has sent us a quote we have never had a quote like this before. It's from Walter White, Breaking Bad. And if those, it's from the pilot of the Breaking Bad TV series. Those of you who don't know what it is, just Google Breaking Bad or Walter White. About a high school chemistry teacher works in a car wash part time, discovers the value of creating drugs, gets an RV. I'm not going to go through the details. I've never seen the series Ginger, but I read so much that in my spare time, <laughs> that's a joke. I'm going to start. Watching it in rerun. So here's the quote Chemistry is the study of matter, but I prefer to see it as the study of change. Ginger Gatling, how are you today?
2: I'm great, and I cannot believe that you have not seen Breaking Bad. (laughs) You've You've got to see it.
1: I will. I have a thing about not watching shows about drugs, but I think after reading this on Wikipedia, I read the whole pilot of the pilot, Ginger, on Wikipedia, okay. and I was completely smitten with just the concept of how it happened. So, yes, I will keep you posted on my my coming on board. I'm finishing season eight of Suits right now. We'll just leave that one alone. And then I have to, Billions is okay. starting on yeah, Sunday, okay. but... I'll put Breaking Bad a list. So, talk to me. Chemistry is the study of matter, but I prefer to see it as the study of change. Change is the big word in this quote. So, tell me how this relates to our topic today, Ginger.
2: That's right. I could talk about for an hour of how this relates. It's a great thing for the series. But the reason I love this quote is because it's so appropriate for our topic today. I've been in the IT field for quite a long time, many, many years. And I think that trends and how we deal with data have kind of circled back over the last few years. But what we're seeing, I mean, over the last several years, what we're seeing now is a real a real fundamental change, change in the kind of data we have to deal with it and our ability to acquire knowledge about that data and to make good use of it and really be able to, like as you said, operationalize it and do some innovative things in, in, uh, in our actually enterprise systems. So if we think of the kinds of, of change that we're having in the data, you know, we're, we're used to dealing with even like structured data, even semi-structured data with text analysis, but now we're looking at huge amounts of IoT and streaming data and video data and tons of different type of data that we don't even understand it. And if you don't know what the data is, how can you quickly and automatically understand it to know how it applies to your business? Right. And then just like you said before, how do we know which of this data we want to use and how do we know what we shouldn't use in order to really get the insights? Because that's what we're really all about. How do we take the data, apply smart technologies like machine learning on top of this to really get something new and really disrupt that we didn't have before? So this Very well. is perfect. Yep because that's what it's all about, the change of the data. Go ahead, Bonnie. It
1: is, and I love your enthusiasm about data, Ginger. I can imagine, let's just muse for a second here before I bring on our next panelist. Let's just muse. A company is finding ways to gather data. They're dealing with privacy, and they're dealing with confidentiality, and they're dealing with the quality of data. Do you think there's still an excitement when somebody looks at the data and says, oh, my, OMG, we have all of this information it's like going to a party and having as many cupcakes as you want. What do we do with it? Do you think there's still this wonderment about data from the, from the human-slash-company side? Is like, wow, what do we do now? Is that still happening in companies?
2: I think it does if you have the right people with the right incentives. I just heard the CIO from a large uh, corporation speak, and he's like, we've been in business for so many years, and we've got you know zettabytes of data. But we're really not even taking advantage of what we have. So people have a trove, and they're so busy just trying to get the sales orders in and trying to get the service tickets done that they sometimes they don't stop. But now with the with the with the growth of uh, chief data officers, right, and with the CIOs really realizing the data, and even with uh, there are analysts talking about, like Gartner, talking about how you can really monetize your data, I think it's a a new love, right? It was kind of a, I've been involved with data for a long time. We kind of went Mm -hmm. out of style. We weren't the sexy topic. But now we're coming back in. So that's that's great when, when you've been working with data for as long as I have. So when we have the right chief data officer or the CIO with the right bent, I think it can make a real difference,
1: yeah. Thank you. That's what I wanted to get to. Yes, and we know about the upcoming role of the data scientist. And I think John and I did a show on his series last year about uh, a business analyst by day, data scientists by night. We talked about the cape they're wearing. And if they're coming out of the phone booth, we'll leave that one alone. So let's move on. Thank you, Ginger. Great opening. Blake Howard is next, Digital Platform Solutions Group at SAP. Blake has sent us a quote from General George S. Patton. I want to salute when I read this quote. George Smith Patton, Jr., 1885 to 1945. Blake, I, I like to ask some of my panelists, when we get a quote from somebody who was around before the internet, before wireless, digital, internet, online, radio, what do you think they would say if they knew that you, Blake Howard, in the year 2019, were quoting them? But let me read the quote, and then we'll add that in. So, George S. Patton, 1885, 1945, general of the U.S. Army, commanded the U.S. Seventh in the Mediterranean Theater, where... War II and the U.S. Third Army in France and Germany after the Allied invasion of Normandy in June 44. and he's very quotable. Here's the quote, if everyone is thinking alike, then someone isn't thinking. I think those are words to live by. Blake Howitt, how have you been? I've been great. How are you? Well, it's very kind of you to ask. I'm I'm great also. I love this quote because I I should be using this when I prep my guests. What do I say to all of you? You don't you're not coming on the radio show to agree with everyone, with everything they say. We want your independent point of view. So, this crystallizes what I've been saying for years and thank you to George Patton for that. Blake, what does this quote have to do with data, please?
3: I was just I was just kind of laughing out loud because here here comes Blake channeling another <laughs> great leader strategist <laughs> but yep. uh I, I like this quote um because it to me it speaks loudly and clearly about the need for um that uh, unstable crazy person at the table um that lone voice in the woods that to keep um to keep the innovation cycle thinking uh rolling uh, the, the the innovation um the, the possibilities of doing more with what we have uh, rolling forward. If, I mean, if we were all thinking alike, meaning somebody wasn't thinking, think about all the things we wouldn't have today, right? Uh, I'm certainly not advocating that all of your listeners should start becoming, you know, outright contrarians in every Skype session they sit in on, but the, the mm-hmm. things that we've marveled at from an innovation perspective just in my lifetime were created by people who did their own thinking, Without those disruptors who did their own thinking—I'm making air quotes around the word
2: disruptors—thinking
3: <laughs> um, yes. that wouldn't necessarily agree with everybody else in the room, we wouldn't have an iPhone, we wouldn't have Tesla, we wouldn't have Uber, uh, we wouldn't have we wouldn't have satellite television, we wouldn't have XM radio, we wouldn't have um, we wouldn't have voicemail where you didn't have to rewind a cassette tape every time you left the house. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so for 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 me, um. I think we self-soothe ourselves a lot when it comes to data. I think we think, you know, as, as a community, I think we say, look at all of this, this mountain of data that's available to us. And, and we self-soothe ourselves by saying, there's so much of it, it must be good. Um, and that lone voice in the woods, you know, and I like to make that my voice once in a while, you might, have, you might know that by now. mm mm-hmm. um, That lone voice in the woods that says, hey, guys, no, it isn't. Our our data isn't good. And we need to pay more attention to not just the amount and the quantity of data that we have out there, but the quality of that data is so much more important than how much we have. I mean, if you think about it, the decisions we make based on data um, are either going to go poorly or they're going to go well based upon the data that we have to work with, right? And if it's incomplete or if it's inaccurate, then we're going to make bad decisions, whether we're using machine learning or whether we're using right. you know, brain power, the quality of the data, the, 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 the discipline around how we manage our data and how we improve its quality is something I think we self-soothe ourselves over as a community. So that's why I kind of like this quote.
1: I do, too. And while you're speaking, I'm thinking of the three Vs of data. I, this stuck in my mind. I think it's from um, from Gartner years ago. Volume, variety, and velocity. I think we need to add, there are four apparently and five. I think we need to add Validity. Yes, veracity. That's the one. And fifth one is value. So I think we need to talk about the veracity. And I believe that's what our topic really is today is beyond the volume and the variety and the velocity. We need to talk about the validity, which could equal value to companies. Thank you, Blake, for that. Appreciate it and love the quote. And let me move on to David Quirk. David has sent us a Chinese proverb. And Chinese proverbs, for those of you who don't know, are developed as part of a social dialect. They're sayings, they're expressions, and very often historical stories. Some proverbs are literary. That means they're from a written source. Literary, really. And others came from families, from street vendors, from what they call commoners and all walks of life. But they've been passed down they don't really have a specific attribution other than Chinese Proverbs so we're going to say this is one here's what David has sent us the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the best second best time is now David Quirk welcome back how have you been
4: doing great thanks Bonnie
1: Thanks for joining us. So talk to me about this quote. I happen to love this one. I'm thinking of planting trees and saving trees. Every time I have to have a paper receipt that's three and a half miles long from a vendor at a store, I say, how many trees do we sacrifice? But let's not get on the tree, the saving the tree a platform today. So talk to me about how this matters to our topic. David?
4: Well, I mean, the, the, the quote itself relates to a lot of things in life. But to me, it stands out as being so relevant to today's topic that, I have to think the ancient Chinese person who coined this phrase or first said this must have had enterprise information management, machine learning, and data science in (laughs) mind when they said it. Because, I don't know, I I, I just think it really speaks to the importance of of, um, a solid foundation of, of EIM for... Uh, driving these initiatives. I mean, for, for companies today that want to take advantage of these opportunities, technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, being able to drive advanced analytics, um, of course, you know, the focus of today's show. You can't do that unless you have that solid foundation of trusted, fit-for-use enterprise information that is the, is the underpinning of everything you're trying to build on top of that. This can't happen overnight. Maybe... People listening out there, you're fortunate that your company's had efforts in place for a few years to build this discipline, implement the necessary technologies to get this in place and support this. Great. You guys are ready to go uh, to, to, to build upon that. But if not, you know, don't panic. Uh, you just need to plant that tree today. Get moving. You know, Never too late to start, but don't wait until tomorrow. So start implementing EIM disciplines at your companies, understanding the importance of of driving a culture change to build that high-quality foundation on which you can then build these um, high-value initiatives that we're talking about
1: today. Thank you. Words of wisdom. I think we just wrapped up the whole show, David. I don't know. John, should we continue the show? That was very very wise words from your colleague, David Quirk. But nonetheless, thank you, David. I'm going to move on to John Skitka. John has a very interesting quote, a little more detailed and deeper than the others, and let's see where we go with it. It's from Randolph Bourne, B-O-U-R-N-E, full name Randolph Silliman, S-I-L-L-I-M-A-N, Silliman. Born 1886 to 1918. Would also be amazed to know that John is using his quote on the air today. He was a progressive writer and intellectual. Born, for some reason, they need us to know he was born in Bloomfield, New Jersey, and graduated from Columbia University, best known for his essays, especially his unfinished work called The State S-T-A-T-E, which was discovered after his death. He's been eulogized. His books include The Radical Will, Selected Writings, War is the Health of the State, hmm, Education and Living, The World of Randolph Bourne, and History of a Literary Radical and Other Essays. So here is the quote John has selected. Can't wait to hear how you found this one, John. We classify things for the purpose of doing something to them. Any classification which does not assist manipulation is worse than useless. John Skitka, how are you today? I'm well, Bonnie. I'm very well. Good. Talk to me about this quote. Are you a fan, a reader of Randolph Bourne? He has quite an interesting history.
5: he has quite an interesting history, and he actually, you know, his, his date of birth was just after the First World War. He was uh, you, one of the, you kind of give a pause after one of his more notable works as well. Uh, he was actually, uh, World War I kind of had an, uh, an impact on the U.S. and it split the pro-war and anti-war uh, factions, um, because, again, that led into the isolationism before the Second World War. And he mm-hmm. was an anti-war uh, person. But how his quote actually relates to how it came across it, I, I do a lot of reading. Um, and he, in looking at the state, and then looking at um, how uh, we govern, he actually had talked about you know classification. That's how you you do things. Um, and one of the issues he talked about is the fact that we can classify things, but unless there's a purpose to the classification, unless the classification allows us to manipulate what we've classified. It really is useless. And that really is very germane to what we're talking about, because I, I, I've, I've talked to you numerous times, uh, as have some of my esteemed guests, on the value that machine learning uh, can bring to business. But any analytics, machine learning predictive included, uh, relies on the underlying data. As mentioned earlier, it has to be sound. It has to be um, reliable. And When we take a look at the new types of data coming in, and that again, your question to uh, Ginger very early on in in terms of is there still excitement around data? Is there, or I mean, my my response was almost are people just being overwhelmed and want to ignore Mm -hmm. it because they have massive amounts of data coming in and they have massive amounts of different types of data coming in as opposed to the structured data they're used to in the ERP systems that is nicely um, categorized and they can grab the tags. A, how do I manage this? Um, and how do I manipulate it? Because in order to use the data, I have to know what the data is, I have to be able to grab those tags and use them. Therefore, that manipulation, the classification, has to allow that manipulation. And when I take a look at the new types of data we have coming in and the mass amounts of it, um, people talk about data lakes. Um, mm-hmm. And data swamp is probably a more accurate term. It's almost yep. like you know, looking at a garage where somebody has just fat, stuck stuff, uh, stuffed stuff away, is that you know they don't know what to do with, and then they may use again some rainy day. And you open it up, and it's just a, a mass, massive junk pile with no an organization and you no. Know, versus, all of that being sorted into bins, very nicely organized, and I can find exactly what kind of. Your screw or fastener, I, I I've thrown in uh, into that pile um, that I may need at some future point in time. So the ability to have the tags is key to using the data. But the biggest challenge we face, especially as we're faced with this onslaught of new and various types of data, is how do I tag them? It's almost uh, a task that's beyond human capacity, and machine learning can help with that identification, with that tagging, with putting that metadata or those tags on the data itself. So it becomes useful, and therefore that classification is key to getting the usefulness out of the data.
1: Thank you, John. Very, very interesting. Yes, we, we've talked, actually, uh, we have a long-running series on Game Changers called Internet of Things with Game Changers, and I believe last year we introduced, f- for the first time, we talked about data lakes, data oceans, data swamps. You're, you're very right on target with that. Uh, so much swimming around. What do you do? How do you slog through it? And I love the way you tied the quote from Randolph Boren in terms of classifying things to classifying and tagging data. Sounds like the new job of data scientists is definitely in great need. Would you say so, John?
5: Oh, more so than ever. Uh, Far more so than ever. And
1: and the need to actually
5: democratize that, because it's almost, I would love a world full of nothing but data scientists, but the reality is I have to scale. So I need the expert to guide those that are not true data scientists, but are able to use tools uh, that democratize that capability and that ability.
1: Thank you very much. Great start to the conversation about our topic. And I haven't officially told everybody, but the topic is can't live without you. I think there's a song about that. Predictive machine learning needs data management. And I think John just flipped that around very elegantly and eloquently data management needs machine learning, and a data scientist who has their head on straight. Very good. We're speaking today with Ginger Gatling, Blake Howitt, David Quirk, and John Skidkin. It's time for us to get to know our panelists very briefly. So, Ginger, let's start with you. Where in the world are you today? What's your favorite drink that powers you to do what you do and be so smart and savvy and well-spoken? And thank you for talking and tweeting at the same time. I do it, and I really value that in a panelist. And tell us just briefly what your current role at SAP is. Ginger, go ahead.
2: Sure. So I'm located in, uh, in Texas, in the heart of the United States. I mean, people in Missouri and Kansas and Iowa say they're in the heart, but in Texas, we believe we're the heart of the United States of America. And what is, uh, what's in, my, what's in my, my, uh, my cup today, my coffee cup today, is actually uh, carbonated water from the great country of Mexico. I love carbonated water. I used to be addicted to soda, and I got off of it by, drink, by drinking Topo Chico from Mexico. So that's really what, that really keeps me going. I don't know what it is about carbonation, but it, but, but it gives me what I, what I need to get to the day. So at SAP, I'm all about um, uh, evangelizing. I'm in the product marketing uh, role. I work with John. We work closely together about making sure that people are aware of, of what we're doing, and particularly in this machine learning and data science space. And I'm happy to be here today.
1: Thank, thank you. you. So we're very happy.
2: That's quite, quite a bit. You. i a text and back, so thank you. Oh,
1: we're very, very happy to have you, too. Blake Howitt, you're up next. Where in the world are you? What do you love to drink? And what's your role these days? I
3: am in a, a suburb of Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: Oh, right. No one
3: would ever mistake for the heart of the country.
1: But um, I'm in Durham, and together, <clears> Charlotte, Durham, Raleigh, we we can say we're the heart of the country, can't we?
3: We're more like <laughs> the left hip, I think, really, <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Have you, if you had a hip replacement, I, 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 or I mean, are we going with natural here?
3: <laughs> <laughs> we're not, no, no, we're not, we're not the, the prosthetic hip. We're the natural hip of the country. That's what we me are too. <laughs> here in the Carolinas, and and, and honestly, I think, um, uh, I think that uh, Charlotte specifically is, you know, we just, we just, they just announced another gigantic uh, bank merger and acquisition action here. So Charlotte's actually going to climb. To I believe the second largest banking center in the country when that. Oh my! So we're we're very proud of of, uh, of our status as a banking city when we used to be basically just a wide spot in the road 100 years ago. So, um, okay. my cup yep. today has um, and this is number three on the day at uh, at 11:26 Eastern. <laughs> There'll be three more in this afternoon. Uh, Sumatra with a little bit of uh, creamer and then two packets of the yellow stuff. Um, <laughs>
1: interesting. I'm not going to hark back to the quote Ginger brought us from Breaking Bad about what you just said. I'm sure somebody's thinking it, but I I wouldn't go there. Go ahead.
3: Um, My role, uh, I'm part of the North American Center of Excellence for our our platform and technology team, um, which means um, essentially we're we're focused upon uh, data as, as an essential uh, asset of any organization, um, probably your most powerful asset, whether you know it or not uh, the, the, the probably the most value in that asset uh, than, than the, in most organizations than in than, than other places um, and and how we manage that data and store and move that data around that 's the central focus of the team that I, I sit on and, and what we really do is um, ensure that you know the good work that we do uh, in development and engineering. Uh, you know, seize the street, and that uh, our customers are aware of of um, the various different ways we can help them on their uh, their digital maturity path. So that's that's what I do.
1: Thank you very much. Happy to have you back, Blake. Always, David Quirk, you're up next. Three questions. Where are you? What do you love to drink? And what do you do?
4: All right. Well, um, originally from Australia, but uh, right now living in um Morristown, New Jersey, and been here for quite a while. And um, what do I drink? Well, last time we did this, I noted um, that I love to drink Kirkland brand coffee. My wife mm-hmm. heard the replay of the broadcast, and she thought I was rather ridiculous for saying that that was my drink of choice. So <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go with that this time. I'm going to pick a more fun selection, and in honor of um, the dude from the Great Lebowski, a delicious white Russian, which would be a drink of choice on the weekend. So, Ooh,
1: um, Nice. You want to give the recipe for a white Russian so people know?
4: Oh, very easy. It's the easiest drink in the world to make. One shot of uh, vodka, one shot of Kahlua, and one shot of half and half. So one, okay. one, and one.
1: There you go. Serve it on ice. over ice in an old-fashioned glass. You can use milk or half and half as an alternative to cream. Two-thirds parts coffee liqueur, one, two-thirds, uh, five parts vodka. Yes, that would certainly knock me to my knees. I'm not very good with vodka, but I've had something similar, and who doesn't love Kahlua? Okay, there we go. So mm-hmm. what's your role these days, David? What, what are you do? up to?
4: I work in the solution management team for our EIM suite of products, so it's quite a, a broad portfolio at SAP and responsible for bringing those products to market uh, in the context of that role. I get to spend a lot of time talking to product managers and developers within SAP, but the part I enjoy the most is talking to you know, customers, analysts, our partners that are, that are dealing with these, these challenges that our customers are facing on a day and day out basis.
1: Thank you very much. Speaking of facing on a day-to-day basis, I know that's what John does. So, John Skidka, talk to me. Where are you today? I have a feeling I know. What's in your cup or what are you dreaming about drinking later? We'll give you that extension. And what are you up to these days, John? Go ahead.
5: Thanks, Bonnie. So, uh, I'm based in Waterloo, Canada, just outside of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Um, and uh, it's the end of winter here, there's still a little bit of snow on the ground, but it's hovering around the freezing mark, so that means it's, you know, not just a nice cold day. It's a damp cold day, which kind of cuts through you, which means that when I get back uh, at the end of the day and I want something to drive uh, the chill out of my bones, this time of year I normally grab uh, a nice glass of Absinthe, um, particularly the Van Gogh edition, uh, if I can get it. Normally I have to travel to get that one, but uh, it's quite a nice little uh, way to... Get the chill out of your bones. Uh,
4: mm-hmm.
5: What I'm up to these days. Uh, again, I just, actually, I just came back. I was in Chicago yesterday uh, uh, supporting the Intelligent Enterprise Tour, talking about data-driven strategy and doing a session with someone, um, most of the panelists will probably know, Sue Wake. And oddly enough, the topic of discussion was data governance, the need for that data governance and how... Um, machine learning fits into all of this, so very much what we're talking about today. So my role is trying to help uh, SAP uh, evangelize how it can um, help uh, customers um, achieve the intelligent enterprise and, and, and use machine learning, predictive learning uh, in achieving their,
1: their business goals. Thank you, John. And John, you mentioned absinthe as your drink for warming up. Is that the right one? Yes. I just want to spell the it one for our listeners. Uh,
5: Go ahead. Yeah, go, go ahead.
1: A B S I N T H E. There's an absinthe green velvet, which is a little on the expensive side. If you want to go all the way up the chain, absinthe Pernod Feast Tarragona vintage. That's, that's a, a paycheck of a couple of weeks. Absinthe Hamlet Classic yeah. Green and absinthe Gustave Barrel Age. Do you have a favorite one of those, John?
5: Of uh, those, no. I said mine is the Van Gogh edition um, out of uh, Distillers de Provence uh, out of France. Uh, it's got a nice picture of Van Gogh on the box. Uh, he was one of the famous drinkers back when uh, it had wormwood in it, which actually really kind of got misconstrued because it is a hallucinogenic, but really it didn't have any impact because it was just a flavoring. Uh, but it was one of the reasons that Absinthe got a bad name and was kind of banned for... For a while, to it came back into into favor. In fact, you mentioned Pernod. Um, mm-hmm. They make the absinthe, and that's what they originally made. And then when the absinthe was outlawed, they just basically kind of took the wormwood out and made straight Pernod, which is a good second uh, choice uh, if you're after something. Uh, well, in, would, in would realm, you believe, more John? More
1: there's a website of people, famous people who drank absinthe. Would you believe believe it? Vincent Van Gogh. Oscar Wilde, Charles Cross, a Renaissance painter, poet, physicist, chemist, musician, inventor, Charles Baudelaire, Paul-Marie Velen, Arthur Rimbaud, Guy de Maupassant, Alfred Jarry, Ernest Hemingway, Marilyn Manson, all are Pernod fans. So you're in good company, John. Really I are.
5: am. You mentioned Hemingway. That's how I came to know about it back in my childhood years, because it, it's featured as uh, the
3: protagonist, <laughs> uh, Drink of Choice and whom <clears throat> the Bell Tolls.
2: I don't know okay. that I've
3: ever felt like more of a peasant than I do right now. I'm not, not knowing
1: I was more about, to about say, I don't even, John, <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. You're, we're in very good company with John on the show and today. John, can you get that, can you you're get on. that in a can, John? I mean, is that is that something I
3: can do? I mean, <laughs>
1: Sorry. This, that's the problem with having panelists back who know each other so well have done a show with me before. We get very very comfortable but we got to get back to our business topic. <laughs> We're going to take a break because we have to do the laughter off air it's all very friendly here. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm not drinking absinthe I can't even deal with vodka. We're going to take a break. We're talking about today uh, the topic is can't live without you and that's not the absinthe is not the answer to that. Predictive machine learning needs data management do you have good data? Do you have data that's manageable, how do you tag the data? Do you have data scientists on your collection of people working with you and for you? Are you using predictive machine learning at its best to help you sort, classify, tag, and use the data? Does your data have volume and velocity? Well, it needs, it needs variety, but it also needs veracity and value. And that's what we're talking about today. Ginger Gatling, Blake Howitt, David Quirk, John Skitka. I'm Bonnie, and I plan to still be after the break. We really need to take a break. My engineer says this is called Happy Hour with Game Changers again. We'll be right back in 90 seconds, I promise, somehow. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Aaron, please take us out.
0: (laughs) When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. systems For secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device, www.sap.com.
1: Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at VoiceAMBusiness. Again, that's at VoiceAMBusiness. And stay current. We're making it easier
0: to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com.
1: Here we are. We're back. We are speaking about a very serious topic. We are smiling while we do it, and that's the best kind of conversation to have. Can't live without you. Predictive machine learning needs data management. Ginger Gatling, Blake Howitt, David Quirk, John Skitka are joining me today. And we are going to take a very deep dive into the topic. We already have, but we're going to get down into some of the numbers. Ginger told me the following. 78% of organizations want to simplify quote-unquote quality data sharing across procurement and production and integrate with their inspection activities. This is from a business performance benchmarking study by SAP. And IDC says only 17% of mid-market companies have an enterprise-wide data management strategy. So, Ginger, take us a, a little deeper into these numbers. I know you have a lot more to share with us. How bad is it or how good is it?
2: yeah I guess bad or good depends upon your perspective. Um I think the 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 first number seventy eight percent of organizations want to simplify quality data sharing. That really speaks that we have a lot going on where I'm in the shop floor, I'm making something, I have some anomalies. I have some you know some checks that need to happen on the equipment that I have. And we're really not all speaking the same speak. Someone may see a, a report of what's going on with the shop floor, but the person who's actually uh, working, a machinist or whatever, is experiencing something else, and we really always aren't sharing the same information because the data is just not what we need it to be. So, and that number's kind of surprising, right, That that it's still this high of 78%. And I think a lot of that is because of the evolution of the types of data that we need to determine what this quality data is, you know, that we were talking about earlier, and being able to integrate that. So, for example, if I can now know things by, y'all mentioned IoT earlier, mm-hmm. by, um, by, by applying IoT and, and bringing that in with machine learning metrics to better predict What's going to happen when I'm when I'm when I'm firing up this piece of metal that I'm using to make an airplane? You know, however hot it is, what's what's the likelihood that it's going to fail? So now we have so many more pieces of tangible data that we can bring in, like from how it's used in production and how it's used with our customers. So that 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 number is, yeah, I think bad news, good news. I think what's what's different about that number is now we know, and because data is so important, it's more visible. Right? So, and, and right, the other number you had with that was an IDC study of, of mid-market companies. So mid-market companies really make up the most of the companies right around the world. And only 17% of those have an enterprise-wide data, managed, data management strategy. And that's one I think is something that's just a really huge opportunity in the, inter, in the uh, mid-market company space where really we have to look at you have fewer resources, you have to do more with fewer resources, and you're being asked to, to do more just because we said of, of all the data that's available to us. So setting up that, that enterprise-wide uh, data management strategy, there are some good uh, thought leadership reports, independent ones that have recently come out, on how do you start with that, how do you get aligned with that, where do you start, you have to start with you know, where it's having the biggest impact on, on your biggest revenue generator. So these things... What's good about this? I think the good is that we're getting the numbers to actually know this. And so it really presents an opportunity that you really have to say, Am I just assuming that I have the right data when I'm looking at that report? What am I actually doing to make sure the data is what I need and it's the quality that I need, and what are the metrics that are being applied to that from all types of data, right? Not just the data we're used to that's in our enterprise application, but other data that that we're bringing in as well. So I think we have good and bad, but, of course, you know, it's going to be a lot good as we're able to, to use machine learning to apply to all this to make better decisions. Bonnie.
1: Th- thank you, Ginger. Great. I love your enthusiasm. I don't think I've ever heard anyone speak so excitedly about the word data, and that's why we're so happy to have you on this panel. Let's move around and see. Let's continue the excitement with Blake Howitt. Blake, thoughts about some of the stats that Ginger just shared with us? Agree or disagree? You want to expand on anything?
3: I agree, but I think that, uh, my, my dear friend Ginger, you know, one of the things that it did, that quote says is want right seventy percent want or have expressed the desire to do something more effectively. Um, I think what what counterbalances that um, is are they really doing anything about it? And so on that topic, a little bit of research will tell you. Um, you know, last year um, spending in you know, globally on artificial intelligence, machine learning, that sort of stuff. Uh, topped out at about $36 billion as a market, and yet the biggest number I can find in my research um, around money spent on data quality, data integration, data management, true data management tools, um, the, apart from databases, is something like 6 or $8 billion. So we want to. We want to get better at this, but we're not investing in it the way we are in the sexy stuff, machine learning, artificial intelligence. I think that's, um, you know, and when we talk about a strategy, that strategy is, um, you know, two parts, really maybe three parts, you know, cultural, um, you know, operational, and then tools. And the research that I'm finding says, yeah, we want to, we, we want to be able to share quality data better. We want to improve the quality of our data, um, but we're, we're, we're spending money on other stuff at a much faster clip than we are actually on, uh, on those particular
4: initiatives.
1: Thank you, Blake. Let's move over to David Quirk. David, join us, please. Thoughts?
4: Um, Yeah, absolutely agree with Ginger's point. The key challenge um, that customers are trying to face in this space is is exemplified by that that point you made about simplifying data sharing. The challenge that that really points to is the challenge of data fragmentation. And this data fragmentation is a key reason that we see data science efforts – are failing at some companies. The inability to pull together all of these disparate sources of data in a, a timely and meaningful way to allow data scientists to do their job. Uh, we see some companies try and solve this by pulling this data together in a short-term fashion to create yet another silo of silos, which is uh, an approach that may address a short-term need but is, is, is not scalable and is not supportable with these ever-changing landscapes that we see. Um, So really it's about trying to think of this in in, in a new fashion with a new paradigm. Uh, You'll hear terms like hybrid data landscapes. You'll hear terms from analysts like the data fabric trying to process this data in place, allow the agility to grow with rapidly changing landscapes, facilitating this combination of enterprise and unstructured data across, across a landscape using existing databases and processing engines that you have to then pull this data together to allow data scientists to be able to do what they do best, so to really try and address this need to simplify the data sharing, to pull together all these disparate sources of information, to to, to drive that, that purpose that we're looking to get out of this.
1: Thank you very much. John Skitka, thoughts, please. Love to have you join us. Yeah, actually,
5: I have to agree with the fact that there's that need for a new paradigm, and the stat on what's being spent on governance versus data science speaks to, you know, what we sometimes do, which is the cool versus the necessary. Uh, and, and sometimes I think that what will come out of this is, you know, this is cool. This is, and and you, you talked about volume, velocity, variety, and we added, mm-hmm. you know, validity and uh, variety to a big data, you know, five years ago. It was a cool term. It was something that was... And, and then it worked down now into what is the business value. And I think that with... What is happening and the need for the governance, especially with the new data sources, and how do I I deal with this, I think that a lot of the focus of a lot of what is happening in that data science world, a lot of that spending will shortly come to bear, build that new paradigm onto, and how can it be used in uh, data management, either identifying and prioritizing new data sources, um, you know, integrating Uh, the data and and, and enriching it, tagging it, uh, actually helping discover where it's stored. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So I I really think that that the machine learning processes will be driven into this and the focus will be on on how do I make that machine learning um,
1: bring value uh, and and drive data governance, which is key uh, to business. Thank you, John. Ginger, I'm going to move around the table because we have just about six minutes, so we have to go to our predictions round. So I'm going to pick a couple of other topics from our other panelists' list. So, Blake Howitt, you say AI, artificial intelligence, and machine learning are more important than the data itself. You may have mentioned this in our, some earlier parts of the show, but I, I want you to focus in on that, hone in on that where does it, artificial intelligence come in. Are people still confused about AI and ML? You want to straighten us out?
3: I, I, I don't know if it's confusion as much as it is um, uh, <laughs> um, may, maybe it's overestimating the, 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 or, or underestimating the importance of, of machine learning and artificial intelligence. We, um, we, we brought up the name of a, one of my colleagues here a few minutes ago, um, and Sue Waite has a mm-hmm. thing that she says in front of customers that I just absolutely love, and that is your, children, your, your data is like your children. Right, you don't just put it, you know, um, put it in its room and keep it there. It, it goes out to play, and when it goes out to play, it gets dirty. And the more the, the more children you have, the the bigger task it is to keep your children clean. Right? Data behaves the same way. The more of it that you have, the more um, the more difficult it is, and the more cumbersome it becomes to actually manage and cleanse and enrich and refine and consume. And and to John's earliest point in this conversation, um, the importance of machine learning to get to good data, and and then the, the inverse of that, the 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 um, the, the way um, machine learning actually has to lean on quality data to be effective, I think is a, a an interesting paradigm that that makes um, makes artificial intelligence machine learning um, that much more valuable in in any organization, but. Because we've kind of conquered the quantity question now, data's uh-huh. everywhere. And I, I think I've used this word with you before, SCADs and SCADs of data. Yes. It's out there. How do we manage it? How do we ingest it? How do we distribute it? How do we cleanse it? Those things can't be done manually anymore. Um, and again, I'll reference John's earliest point in this conversation. The, the importance of a bona fide data strategy and a data science discipline have become um, paramount in, in most organizations because of the amount of data that's coming at uh, the community. Um, you can no longer handle this just um, on an eyeball, manual basis. You're not going to see the relationships that exist between uh, two discrete data points the way you used to be able to. You know, the data scientists used to spend, you know, 80% of their time writing algorithms and 20% actually grinding data, and we're, you know, I think it's a community actively trying to flip that now to a point where we, we're automating enough of that grinding of the data with machine learning and artificial intelligence that we can actually spend time writing, building the models and writing the algorithms. So um, from my perspective, I think that tells us that machine learning, artificial intelligence, getting to a more predictive posture has actually become more important than the underlying data itself.
1: Thank you very much, Blake. David, I'm moving around to something in your statements that caught my eye because it's about the outward facing in rather than we're talking about companies with data. Why is this so important? What is the need? And you say customer expectations are heightened. Everything needs to be tailored, needs to be immediate, needs to be mobile, and this means we need intelligent algorithms can you just uh, give us about a minute and a half of this before we dive ginger get ready for your prediction because it's coming up right after david is done david what are your thoughts
4: yes certainly i mean customers customers it's not good enough to just have uh, business the way that you know we grew up with with the uh, the the speed of of expectations and bringing value to our customers you know we talk about you know newer generations of, of people requiring everything to be mobile everything is able to be done instantly you know and and customers uh, sorry companies are reacting to those customer expectations they they need to be able to provide an experience if if a customer logs into A a website to purchase a product. They don't don't just want to present that customer with the same website. They want to do a quick analysis of that customer's Mm -hmm. past purchase history, uh, those custom, and any information you have about that customer to present them with an offer with a with a directed part of the website that leads that customer to um, the the aspects of that company's products that would be more relevant for that customer. Um, Using this to drive, you know. Predictive maintenance algorithms that can help companies run more efficiently. So, you know, the, the, these types of expectations now are becoming, uh, you know, commonplace and becoming a reality. And the volumes of data and the speed of this decision making can't can't be done. Uh, unless you have a significant amount of automation both in the orchestration of the flows of data to feed these uh, algorithms, but the algorithms themselves, intelligent um, uh, algorithms, artificial intelligence, machine learning, to be able to drive these types of decisions.
1: Thank you, David. Guess what? I'm changing the order for the predictions. John, since I'm not getting to your topics, even though you've been great contributor, obviously, to the whole conversation. John Skitka, you'll go first for predictions, and we'll circle around to Ginger, then Blake, and we'll end up with David. So I have 60 seconds for each of you. Please use them well. And John Skitka, you're up. Predict What will change about this topic? Predictive machine learning needs data management, and I think we can flip that data. Needs data management and predictive machine learning and AI and all that good stuff. Get out of the swamp. So John Skitka, predictions, 60 seconds. They're all yours.
5: Okay, in the next five years, I, I really see that circular codependence that we've kind of identified of you know, machine learning, which is key to business value and is, is being implemented in almost every business application that there is. Uh, needing value-driven, valid data uh, to make those decisions proper, but also being confronted with the ability to manage and govern massive amounts of very diverse data and machine learning being able to help with that, to automate those tasks. So I I really think that what we're going to see is kind of like we did with the big data, which, you know, the volume, velocity, variety came out of, um, stop being a buzz term and actually go away and become something that is integral to the business. And we're going to see a lot of machine learning algorithms and, and effort that isn't based on, you know, customer churn, but is, so, is, is more so focused on uh, data management, uh, tagging data, doing privacy, who's accessed the data, alerting people when there are potential breaches, or even looking for discrepancies. As, as mentioned, data gets dirty, uh, and, and machine learning being able to automatically cleanse that and alert us to when it's dirty. So I, I really think that it's just going to become part of the business process and that machine learning will become part of, the just normal landscape of data governance.
1: Uh, and, and Thank you very you much, John. Ginger, you're up. Prediction, 60 seconds. Go.
2: Yeah, my prediction piggybacks on, on John. With the application of machine learning to manage our data, I think there will be a new uh, governance for so the people that do governance now to make sure the machine learning algorithms are still really detecting the uh, the dirty versus the clean, rationalizing it for us, making sure that there's not bias worked into those. Just keeping keeping those things updated and applicable and ensuring we're still making the right decisions, I think that will be a huge thing. Machine learning, uh, all these decision sciences will be part of our, our applications, the, the off-the-shelf applica- applications that you purchase. But I think governance will be a huge thing in the next uh, four to five years to make sure it's doing the right thing. That's my, Thank my you.: prediction.
1: I think we need to do a show on governance, John. You can help me put one together. I'm just telling you now. Let's go around to Blake. 60 seconds, Blake. That's all I've got. What do you think?
3: Five years from now. Um, this is much more Thunderdome than anybody else's, so forgive me. but it's, um, <clears throat> Five years from now, you're going to see something like half of human tasks automated using artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, and that would include simple stuff, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of tipping my hand here about something that I heard last week. But you're going to begin to see robotics in play, n- not in a back-office role, but in a customer-facing role, much more so than today, five years from now. You're going to see bots roaming the aisles at your hardware store, uh, fielding your questions in seven different languages and guiding you to where the, you know, the PVC is. Um, you're, you're going to begin, begin, be, begin to see machine learning have a much more mainstream, customer-facing, um, public presence uh, than we have today. Today we have a kind of stash in back office helping us think through you know big challenges. You're going to begin to see it much more uh, publicly consumed five years from now.
1: Thank you very much. And David Quirk, you've got the last 60 seconds. They're all yours. What do you think? What's the prediction?
4: Well, um, what I would say is that I think what we're seeing as being new and differentiating today will become commonplace. Um, thinking about my history in, in, in this, this role, uh, at, at events, whenever I was talking to customers, I used to have to preach the need for EIM technology and why this is important. Certainly not anymore. And with today's opportunities, the velocity of change, the complexity we see in modern landscapes, on-prem, in the cloud, structured data, unstructured data, huge volumes of data varieties of different types of data and all of this still changing at an ever-increasing pace. Driving these initiatives along those paradigms I described before, things like the data fabric, talking about hybrid data landscapes, all of this are going to become standard vernacular for people. They're going to become a requirement for companies to embrace these technologies, machine learning, artificial intelligence, or to build these great initiatives. Customer 360 to to, to, to really drive that Fully embrace predictive maintenance, advanced analytics. Um, all of these rely on combining all of this wonderful uh, plethora of new data so- stores and sources with that structured information that customers have in their landscapes.
1: Thank you very much. I want to thank our panel of experts. You've all been very interesting to speak with. John, I'm glad we did this part to her on Coffee Break because we definitely want our, our biggest audience of all Game Changer shows to be exposed to the wealth of information from you and your colleagues. So I want to thank you for putting this together originally for your series, John Skitka. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here, and we'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern today with a new episode of Internet of Things with Game Changers right here on the Business Channel. Thank you to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the World Talk Radio Business Channel. And here is my shout-out. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, especially when it comes to data, just like Ginger Gatling, just like Blake Howitt, just like David Quirk, and just like John Skitka. Have a great rest of your day. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye.